Thank you, Rick and Jamie. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 35. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. We'll continue our look at the miracles of Jesus Christ. And as we have before mentioned, the miracles of Jesus Christ reveal many things about Christ himself. But these miracles also reveal some things about us as well. This is no exception. In fact, there's a very stark contrast between Jesus Christ and those that follow him in this passage of Scripture. And you'll see what I mean as we look at this passage. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Would you stand as the Scripture's read, please? Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On the same day... When evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospels that show us the life and the work and the words of Jesus Christ. We ask that we would study them and know them well. Help us to know more about Jesus. We ask, Father, you'd help us to know some things about ourselves in this passage of scripture. We all come here with a need. Whatever that need is, we ask that you would address that need. For those of us who may need to be confronted and challenged, we ask that that would happen today. Those who may need to be comforted, we ask that that would happen today. If someone here needs to be turned around, Father, we know your word can do that. So we just lay this service in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Two main points uh, for this uh, message. We have a lot of uh, sub-points to look at, but two main points that we look at as we focus on what the miracles of Jesus tell us about ourselves as well as about Jesus Christ. What we see here, first of all, is the limits of our human resources and abilities. If you look at this passage, it said, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were with him. We want to look at the boat. Now it's quite interesting that he didn't say they got into a boat. It said they got into the boat. Now the term the boat is used several times in the book of Mark. Definite article. It was most likely Simon Peter's. How we know that is in Luke chapter 5, 
where Jesus Christ has come to the shore and the multitudes are on the shore and he needs to get a little distance between him and the multitude so he could teach them. Simon Peter was there cleaning his nets. He said, Let's let, let me borrow your boat for a little bit. And he got into Simon Peter's boat and, of course, pulled out a little way from the land and there taught the people. On that same day, he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, into the ministry. After that, we see repeatedly through the Gospels where the boat is mentioned. So we realize the boat would have been probably Simon Peter's. If it was the boat that belonged to Simon Peter, it was one that they regularly used. It was sturdy enough for men to stand up in it and stable enough for them to stand up in it and cast their net. It was stable and sturdy enough for them to haul in nets full of fish over the side of the boat. Those of you who have ever done much boating know that it has to be a stable boat to be able to do that kind of work in a boat. Recent archaeological evidence tells us how big it was. Back in 1986, there was a drought in that area, and the level of the Sea of Galilee dropped. And they found a boat. They found a boat in the mud, and after painstaking restoration of the boat, they discovered, due to carbon dating, it was built between 50 B.C. and 50 A.D., somewhere around the same time frame. Now, they cannot say that it was the boat, but they realized this boat would have been typical of fishing boats in the area. So the boat that's mentioned in this passage of Scripture would have been very similar to this. It was 27 feet long by 7 feet wide by about four and a half feet deep. This boat could hold 15 people. So we understand it would not have been overloaded with Jesus and the 12 disciples. It had places for four men to row, and it had a mast for one sail. The boat was purchased, no doubt, through a lot of hard work and sacrifice. It was the best they could offer. It was the best boat they could use. It was the most sturdy and stable boat there in that day and time. Now let's look at the men in the boat. Four of the men we know were expert fishermen. Scholars agree that probably seven of the disciples were fishermen. But we know four were James and John, Peter and Andrew. We know those four were. That would have meant there are at least four expert people on the row, on the, the row, on the oars. So you have to understand that these men, possibly seven, they had not only were professional fishermen, they had been there their whole life. They were fishermen on this lake. They knew every aspect of this lake. They knew how to handle a boat, and they definitely knew how to handle this boat, but it was probably theirs. So we understand it was the best possible boat that they could have had at the time with the best possible people to man the boat at the time. And these men had seen storms before, no doubt, because this part of the terrain in the Sea of Galilee 
there are mountains on either side that funnel the winds through them. And the elevation change and the meteorological uh, situation, scholars say that those storms come up from time to time just out of the blue. They would have encountered storms before. They knew what it was like to handle a boat in some rough water. But this was too much. You see, the problem was not the big waves on the outside of the boat. The problem was the waves on the outside of the boat were now getting inside of the boat because it says the boat was filling up. So no amount of hoping and wishing, good intentions, extreme emotions, no amount of this would be enough. They had reached their limit with their technology, and they had reached their limit with their abilities. It was definitely time to talk to Jesus, wasn't it? You ever been there before with a storm on the outside, now coming inside, now it's in our home, now it's in our heart, now it's in my life, and the waves are filling my boat up. I've done all I could do. There's no amount of strong emotions, well-wishing, good intentions. There's nothing I can find. I have reached the end where everything I have is not enough. Finally, they talk to Jesus, and that's when things begin to change. Good lesson here, isn't it? Good lesson here. Talk to Jesus about it. Now, let's contrast that. The first point, the limits of human resources and abilities. We see that. Now let's look at the limitless abilities of Jesus Christ. There's where we have the message. The difference in what we can do with the best we can offer or what we can't do in the best we can offer and what Jesus can. Now, the abilities of Christ were limitless and awesome, first of all, even as he had stepped out of his glory in heaven into a human body. Now, in the book of John, chapter 1, it talks about the greatness of Jesus Christ, and it says... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul said it this way, Jesus Christ emptied himself and stepped into flesh as a man. So we understand Jesus Christ was definitely in a human body with all of its problems. It says in verse 38, he was asleep. He was asleep in the boat. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. He's God. Yes, but see, there's the beauty of it. He's God but he willingly stepped into a frail body of flesh. And you see, he had a long day, nonstop work with the crowds. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 20, it says the crowds were pressing on them. The demands were so great, they didn't even have time to stop and eat. He had been all day long dealing with people and problems and teaching. And then he says, let's go to the other side. And he got in the boat, and the storm didn't happen all at once. He got in the boat, and he went to the back of the boat. The disciples were toward the front of the boat in the middle. Two guys were rowing. All was good. The boat was, was calm. The sea was all right. The disciples talking quietly with each other. He was away from the crowds, and he just took his time to rest. He took a time to sleep when he could, when he could sleep. So he was fast asleep. He was fast asleep, and he slept quietly even through the storm. Now, there's something to look at here. 
The storm didn't even wake him up. But the disciples were upset. They had done all they could do. It's time to talk to Jesus. So they woke him up. And here's the limitless ability of Jesus Christ. He resolved the dangerous crisis with just his word. He resolved the crisis, watch this, with his word. His word began to solve their problems. In verse 39, the English translation just simply says, He arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now, if you look at the original Greek, it's pretty interesting at what happened here. Actually, it's two commands. Two commands. The Greek verb structure says, quiet. And then the next statement is, stay that way. Quiet. Stay that way. And when Jesus said those words, it says there was a great call. Not just everything got a little bit better. I think that's when things begin to kind of, uh, kind of get straightened out. It was instantaneous. Instantly, he resolved their crisis with the power of his word and with just two commands, quiet and stay that way. There was great calm. It did get quiet and it did stay quiet. There's a lesson there. What resolved their problem? The words of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus not only solved their problem, but Jesus at that time gave the apostles firm footing for their future commission that he would give them before he went to heaven. What is the commission? The commission was this. Preach the word to every nation, tribe, Tongue to the uttermost parts of the earth. Preach the word. They would not be able to do this without absolute unwavering confidence in the word of Jesus Christ. There would be no way they could fulfill this commission until they were ready to totally trust his word and they weren't there yet. Look at the detail and you'll figure it out. They were a long way from being there. They did not have trust in God's word, the words of Christ. Look at the details. All day long in verse 33, it said, he taught the word to them. They had been all day long exposed to his word. And then it said in verse 34, he explained the word to him. And then he said, let's go over to the other side. Then the storm came. And they woke him up and said, don't you care? We're about to die out here. And you might say, I'm still not getting it. I'm still not getting it. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And they told him, hey, we're never going to make it. They didn't believe they would get there. Who told them they would get there? Jesus said they would get there. But they didn't believe it. They didn't have trust in his word. They began to look at the storm instead of remembering the Savior. And they began to panic and worry and fret and said, this is so horrible. We'll never, ever make it. Does it sound 
familiar. But Jesus changed all that. He said, all right, I'm going to show you. I said we'd get to the other side. My word was that we'd get to the other side. We'd get there. You didn't believe me. Now let me show you that my word is powerful. Quiet! And stay that way. And oh, Jesus changed all of that. You see, Betty did. He changed the storm. Oh no. He changed their heart. He changed their heart. Because by the time Jesus gave them the commission and left to go to heaven, they had a rock solid confidence in the word of God, in the word of Jesus Christ. If you turn to the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 31. To understand the power of the statement that we're about to read, you have to understand that Peter and John, the leaders of the early church, had gotten arrested. They had gotten arrested and they have threatened Peter and John not to preach Jesus Christ. And they threatened them. And they threw them in jail. So the word was out. The most, most powerful people in town said, you don't preach Jesus. And they proved it by arresting them. Then they let them go. They came together and they had a prayer meeting in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, and when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke what? The word of God with what? Boldness. They were bold about speaking what? The word. Even in the face of arrest. Well, it gets even better. Look in chapter 5, verse 20. They had been arrested again for preaching the word. And the angel comes and lets them out. And you know what he tells them to do? Go and stand in the temple and speak to people all the words of this life. He told them to do exactly what it was that got them thrown in jail in the first place. Well, they were arrested again and threatened. And if you look in verse 28, they threatened them and said... Did we not straightly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's boldness. You know why they could be that bold? Because they had absolute, total confidence in the word of Jesus Christ. That's what they preached that's what they stood on. That's what they stood for. And they could stand even after being in prison multiple times. Well, it gets even better. Chapter 8, verse 4. The ringleader, Saul, is now arresting people, throwing them in jail. He's got arrest warrants. He's got the full faith and credit of the Roman Empire, of all the Jewish leaders behind him. He's throwing men and women into jail, and people begin to scatter. You would think they would scatter and kind of keep quiet because 
That's what got us into all this in the first place. In verse 4 of chapter 8, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, doing what? Preaching the word. You couldn't stop them. You couldn't shut them up. You couldn't make them quit. They were preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So we understand. Couldn't stop them. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now it's serious. He decided, I'll shut him up. I'll stop him. I'll put a halt to all this. So he kills one of them. He kills one of them. We read through the whole chapter that Peter's in prison. We know the story about that. But look at the last couple of verses here in verse 24 of chapter 12. But the word of God grew and multiplied. How about that? Did you see what we've looked at? Over and over again, these men who at one time could not trust the word of Christ now trust his word enough to put their life on the line. They put their life on the line, and because they absolute trust in the Lord, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop it. You see, since then, not only Herod, not only the emperor, not only the Sanhedrin, since then... The greatest empires of the world have tried to deny it, discredit it, destroy it, and remove it. Kings, intellectuals, have written about the demise of God's word. They've made predictions that within a hundred years, God's word will be simply relegated to museums. That was 200 years ago, in fact. One of the the greatest singers that people revered got off the plane, said, we're greater than Jesus. And yes, Christianity will end. We'll see it end. John Lennon died 40 years ago. And the Bible still goes on. Communist dictators, United States politicians, entertainers, celebrities, rioters, and looters have all tried to silence God's word, and God's word will not be silenced. Yes, the Apostle Paul said, you can throw me in chains, and I may be bound, but you know what he said? God's word is not bound, and it will not be bound. It's a losing battle. The greatest powers on the earth will never, ever be able to silence God's word. It's a losing battle. It will not happen. And communist China... In communist Russia and some of the other dictatorships, the Bible is banned. Can't have it, can't read it, they crave it. And the church is thriving by leaps and bounds because the word of God is not bound. You see, the world is growing darker as people try to ignore God's word. But aren't we thankful when the Bible talks about itself in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Peter says it this way. We have a more sure word of prophecy, and you would do well to take heed to it. 
as a light that shines in a dark place. That's quite interesting, the word that he used, dark. Because we think about dark, we want to get kind of spiritual and talk about spiritual darkness. hard for us to connect. But you know the Greek word that's used here is gloomy. A gloomy place. Now we're talking about, I'm not talking about a gloomy place like a geographical location. We're talking about a gloomy place of the heart. You ever been in a gloomy place? You ever been in a gloomy place when somebody's sick? Real sick. You ever been in a gloomy place when there's financial problems? Big problems. You ever been in a gloomy place when there's family problems? You ever been in a gloomy place when there's just so much complicated problems you don't know where to go? Things get gloomy. And it says God's word is a light that shines in that gloomy place. And we would do well that we would take heed. No matter how dark the world may get, and it's getting dark. There's some major efforts to discredit, deny, ignore, and turn away from God's word. But God's word says it is a light. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says, The word of God is the milk of the word that gives us a good start. And then, of course, we understand the 119th Psalm verse 103. It says the, milk, the word of God is like honey. It'll sweeten our lives up. Sometimes we need some sweetening up, don't we? Not only will it sweeten us up, it'll give us strength to carry on. In Luke chapter 8 verse 11, it says, God's word is a seed that always produces a crop. We need to understand that when it comes to work with the church. Always produces a crop. Jeremiah chapter 29 says this, God's word is a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. It can break any obstacle in your path, but it can also break up a stony heart. It's a hammer. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 said it's quick, alive, and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. God's word is effective. It's no wonder that Paul said in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's the word he says, let it live right here. Let the word of God live right here. Why is that? Because the word of God will make us what we ought to be. I told you the sword cuts both ways. The sword cuts both ways in that the word of God will lighten up a gloomy place, but the word of God sometimes shines the light on us and shows us what we need to do. It tells us we need to watch after each other. It tells us we need to watch our step. It tells us we need to watch our mouth. That's what God's word does. So sometimes that sword cuts us, but we need to let it dwell in our hearts. Paul said this to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 2 in his second letter. Preach the word. Preach what? The word. And the word will be preached by these two pastors. No matter what current politics may dictate. No matter what accepted practices may abound in the community. No matter what trendy magazines may say about behavior and morals and conduct. No matter what famous celebrities may say about conduct and activities and morals and practices and attitudes. We don't stand on any of that. We preach the word. We stand with the word. 
We stand for the Word. We stand by the Word. And we'll stand on the Word because the Word is all that lasts. The empires that have tried to destroy the Word have come and gone. The most powerful men in the world have come and gone. They're dead and gone. Their empires are dust. But the Word they tried to destroy their whole lives still lives on for centuries. So that is the policy and the practice of the church will be the Word of God, not some other moral standing that wants to creep in. First Peter said it this way, if you want to turn and then we'll close. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the church and the flower passes away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he says this, oh, this is the word through which the gospel was preached to you. This is the word through which the gospel is preached to you. You see, the word of God lasts. It is sure. It is steadfast. It is solid. It is stable. We can stand on it. It will anchor our lives. Anything less won't do. It may be the best we could muster. The apostles found that out. The best they could muster was inadequate on that day, and they found out it was the word of Christ that changed the situation. It's the word of Christ that they stood on. It was the word of Christ that got things done. Anything less would lead them to failure. And it's the word of Christ through which the gospel is preached. And that tells me this. It matters not. It matters not what cultural trend may blow through. The gospel is going to stay the same. First of all, there's a thing called sin. You can't call it anything else and be accurate. It's sin. Now, it may be accepted. It may be legal. It may be celebrated. But sin is sin, and it disqualifies us from God's heaven. That'll never change. Man's opinion may change, but that'll never change. But you see, the gospel says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That has not changed. You see, things come, winds of change blow, but the one thing that remains the same is the word of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the word that's preached to you, and that has not changed and God intends for that message to reach every heart here and every heart to the end of the world. So we're prepared for an invitation on him. I don't know where this may have hit us. Maybe you're in a time of storm. You've tried everything you can try. None of your resources, none of your abilities, none of, nothing has helped. It's time to talk to Jesus. Carry it to Jesus. They said, don't you care that we perish? You ever felt that way? Don't you even see what's going on? Jesus knew, but Jesus also knew what he had told them. I'm going to carry you safely to the other side. 
Now, we may have to go through a storm to get there, but let me tell you, in Jesus Christ, all who trust Jesus Christ, we will get to the other side. It will get there. And he knows that. And he cares about you. And he cares about everything about you. Tell Jesus what's on your mind. And you might say, well, well, I can't tell Jesus that. Well, then the disciples, weren't they brutally honest? Don't you even care? And you think, what kind of person tells Jesus that? Well, obviously they did. Be honest with him. And if you're, if you're not saved, you've never trusted Christ, the same message that you've rejected last week and last month and last year will be the same message from here on out. It will never change. You will never outweigh it. You'll never outlast it. The gospel will always be the same. You need Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing. Number 124.